Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Thank you, beautiful girls, for reading the scriptures to us. And uh, uh, we're going to look this morning at this very well-known expression of Jesus who said, I am the good shepherd. One of the most enduring images of Jesus, the good shepherd. We find it in the earliest Christian literature and the widest of art forms. It features in our hymns and our prayers. The shepherd's crook or crozier or staff is the emblem of the bishop and his work. Many denominations we call the church leader the pastor. And interestingly, we often also find it even in popular secular culture. It's the theme tune for the Vicar of Dibley, sung beautifully by the choir of Wells Cathedral. Um, have a look at it on YouTube to redeem that image. It's the most beautiful song, but totally wrecked um, because everyone thinks of the Vicar of Dibley. And do you know it's sung raucously by the crowd before every West Bromwich Albion home game? Another interesting, uh, slightly less reverend YouTube clip that you could look up and I have the references for if you are interested. Hasn't done them much good, I think, recently. But at first reading, it's actually not a very straightforward allegory. Why did Jesus weave through different, sometimes seemingly conflicting analogies in and the passage we've just read in John chapter 10. We have reference to people entering by the gate or by the door, um, to the gatekeeper, uh, to the shepherd, to the sheep, to the stranger, to the gate itself, to the thief, to the good shepherd, uh, to the hired hand, to the wolf, to the father, uh, and to other sheep not of this sheepfold. It's quite a lot going on there. Firstly, Jesus implies that he is the shepherd of the sheep. And the Pharisees didn't understand him, verse 6. So then Jesus said he was the gate for the sheep. And then a little while later, twice, he says he is the good shepherd. Now, many of us know this story so well that we probably don't think too much about how confusing it could seem uh, to someone who is reading it for the first time. So the Jews were uh, listening to him were certainly confused. Some said that he was demon-possessed um, and, or, or raving mad, uh, and others disagreed. In fact, the shifting analogies are really quite simple to explain. If you think about it, imagine Jesus and his disciples and a crowd, including Pharisees. They were walking along, uh, along the edge of a typical and quite poor village. And beyond them, a dusty track winds its way up into the rolling hills to the more lush, green grazing pastures, or Jailu, as we say in Central Asia. And forgive me, there's a lot of reference to Central Asia because I'm a little bit familiar with Middle Eastern sheep and shepherds, but much more familiar with Central Asian ones. So that's, the, that's going to be the pictures today. Um, but the, Jailu is the word for where the sheep graze in the summer months up on the hills. Uh, And Jesus and those with him stop for a while near the gate of a dry and grubby sheep pen. 
Um, its boundary is partly stone and partly an old and often repaired wicker fence. And about 30 sheep are squeezed inside uh, within its frame. And by a great gatekeeper casually leans against the gate of the pen. He's uh, alerted and intrigued by the crowd that's just gathered across the road uh, with this uh, young rabbi. And he straightens up and diverts his attention in order to open the gate uh, for the arrival of a shepherd who he clearly knows. The, the, The shepherd greets the gatekeeper, walks through the gate and into the sheep pen. Jesus is simply using what is in front of him to talk to the crowd. And as they watch and listen, it becomes clear that the shepherd is well known to the sheep who trust him and gather around him expectantly. And before long, the gatekeeper opens the gate again and the shepherd, with the sheep willingly following, exit the pen and make their way towards the jailu. And as this story unfolds, Jesus switches the analogy, using the developing activity in front of them to explain himself firstly as the shepherd and then as the gate and then finally as the good shepherd. And remember, the Old Testament and anyone who knew the scriptures or our Old Testament was well familiar with the prophetic analogies of the Lord describing himself as a shepherd and his people as his sheep. In fact, this is probably why the Jews, the Pharisees there, found this discussion so controversial. Was this young rabbi really aligning himself so intimately with Yahweh? the revered God of the Old Testament. And these are the scriptures that might have come to mind. He tends his flock like a shepherd, Isaiah 40. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently uh, leads those who have young. Or Jeremiah 23, I will gather the remnant of my flock and I will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will anything be missing, declares the Lord. They might have been thinking of Ezekiel 34. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. I'll rescue them from the places where they are scattered. I will tend them in good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will place them over, I place over them one shepherd. He will tend them and be their shepherd. It could have been Ezekiel 37. My servant David will be king over them. They will have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. And then, of course, there's Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Do you want to say it out to me? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Do you want to say it to the person next to you? Happy to be sheep today. I'm not insulting you too much, am I? That's a good point. You know, I'm never quite sure if we really think about it when we say amen and seek a response in in church. In fact, sometimes you hear it in the most wacky of times. (laughs) I've heard before... The devil is so powerful. Amen. What? That means so let it be. You know, thus saith the Lord, just think for a little while. So I wonder if we can redeem that today. So if I ask you to say amen, will you say bah instead? (laughs) Amen? (laughs) I bet you're glad you came, aren't you? And then, of course... Purely in the four Gospels alone, there are 55 references to sheep and to shepherds. Can you think of some of them? 
Sheep and the goats, lost sheep. Is that the 99 and the 100 and the 1? And the sheep, his, his sheep know his voice, okay? That's in the, where we are today. Don't steal my thunder, will you? I might come back to that one. Sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looking with compassion on the crowds. Absolutely. But back to John 10. And we must understand that these analogies that Jesus used actually work on three different levels. Um, there are just the shepherds, as was in front of them, the sheep and the enemies of the sheep, that is the thieves and robbers and wolves and strangers that we read about in John 10. And then on a second level, you could think of pastors and their congregations and the enemies of congregations. It could be those who are careless towards them or wish to take advantage of them or to destroy them. But primarily and ultimately, we are talking here about Jesus and his church and the enemy, the devil. Now, talking of enemies, in John chapter 10, Jesus talks several times of false shepherds. Verses 1, 5, 12, 13, sometimes talked about as thieves or robbers, strangers or hired hands. And, it, and we read that some climb in another way. Now, I wonder what these other ways could be. Well, clearly they could be Jewish leaders, um, Pharisees, as, as was suggested in, by Jesus in John chapter 10. But the abusive role of priests was Luther's main frustration 500 years ago, which led ultimately to the Protestant Reformation. Or fawning 19th century parsons, often depicted in TV period dramas and weak and compromising, hand-wringing people-pleasers, they might come to mind. But more currently, and in the last 12 months, and through the Raising Families program that I manage, I've met a number, listen to this well, a number of pastors who, through repentance and faith, have met with Christ for the first time. It's extraordinary. So in September last year, six, five, six months ago, I was called the keynote speaker at a pastor's graduation ceremony in Swaziland, where a large handful, I would think probably six to eight, Zionist and Jericho pastors had repented and come to Christ. We never knew him personally, some of them said. We used to talk rubbish, I think was the quote from this gentleman. And we were only appointed because we could read. These were some of the things that were said. And yet through the program, praise God, they've come to Christ and led their congregations to Christ. Nearer to home, maybe like me, you've come across what could be maybe called career pastors who search high and low for any opportunity to lead a church. Or Christians who change church because they're desperate for a role or office or a title or a function. And they arrive with great enthusiasm and promise, talking confidently about my ministry, whatever that's supposed to mean. Um, but when they aren't given the role they want, they quickly leave and try somewhere else to perform. And so in all these cases, and without a genuine call of God, would the stranger shepherd stay at times of great crisis? Well, possibly. But if the call was weak, then the way out is easy. So what are the characteristics of the good shepherd? Number one, his voice is listened to, heard, known by the sheep. This does, I think, in part refer to those who God appoints to serve his church, the under-shepherds, 
but primarily refers to Jesus, the good shepherd. He knows and calls his sheep by name. There is something strongly relational, intimate, personal about this relationship. This is not mere contract. It is covenant. It won't mean that everything that the shepherd says is instantly acceptable to us, his sheep, because we are silly, stubborn, selfish, and often rebellious. Amen? And also, in the, this could be rather distracting, couldn't it? But we'll carry on. And, and also in the case of the shepherd the par- and the pastor, but never in the case of Jesus, they sometimes get it wrong. But overall, what I'm saying, it's a with-the-grain relationship, a round peg in a round hole. It works, it fits, it's natural, it's intrinsic. He gives life and he gives it more abundantly. He is a good shepherd. Now, secondly, and incidentally, all these pictures were taken um, in Kyrgyzstan. Secondly, the good shepherd owns the sheep. Verse 12. In days when we are told to demand our rights, our independence, our choices and our options, it may come as quite a surprise to learn that actually we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We are willing slaves. The good shepherd owns the sheep and we must there and must therefore lead them according to his thankfully kind and perfect will and not our own so discipline direction correction change and tough decisions are all part of the good shepherd's role of protection thy rod and thy staff they comfort me swack thirdly the good shepherd cares for the sheep Through it all, we can have supreme confidence, ladies and gentlemen, that he knows best and that he cares for us. Do you know, when I was either 19 or 20, I settled something in my life. I laid down all options of thinking otherwise through good times and through crisis. And to this day, I can still declare three things that I learned those 45 years ago. He exists, he is altogether good, and he likes me. Oh my goodness, that has saved me such a lot of hassle. He exists, he is altogether good, and he likes me. Oh, Alan, he does more than that, they say. He loves you, I know he loves me. It's in his job description to love me. What I'm saying is this, if there were ten of us... And when I had to go to London and we only had three cars, Jesus would come up to me and say, do you mind if I travel with you, Alan? He likes me. And number four, the good shepherd knows the sheep. It's a little bit like the first of these subheadings, but from his perspective, he knows the sheep. He knows my name, John chapter 10 and verse 3. What a wonderful thing. Do you want to say that back to me? He knows my name. I love being known by God, except when I want to sin, of course. From Adam onwards, we've all tried to hide from God from time to time. It may come in the form of justifying uh, what we're doing, semi-ignoring it ourselves, or persuading, uh, uh, persuading ourselves that our sin is justifiable just this once. The Good Shepherd knows the sheep. The Lord knows those who are his, 2 Timothy 2. This is wonderful news for those who've laid their whole lives down before Jesus. But it is rather scary news for those who 
continue to quietly determine to hold parts of their life back in the darkness. Number five, the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep, verse 11 and verse 15. Good shepherds in Jesus' day and earlier were ready to do this when protecting their flock against wolves and other predators. Do you remember what David said to Saul, 1 Samuel 17, when Israel faced the taunts and the threats of Goliath? He said, when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. Just a warning, if you do plan to do this at home or rather in your garden this afternoon, just check that the lion or the bear have beards because it doesn't actually work so well when they're clean shaven. Amen? And for centuries, good church pastors have been ready to do this, to lay their lives down in defense of their flocks, facing persecution, imprisonment, and torture for the sake of the gospel. And Bella and I will be in a conference with a couple of hundred of such pastors from the Caucasus and Central Asia this week. But ultimately, Jesus did this by laying down his life on the cross. There is nothing that will stop Jesus loving you. And there is no length he won't go to to demonstrate that love. And as we know, he will even in he has laid down his life for his sheep. And you, when he said this, John chapter 10, it was probably only a couple of weeks before the Passover feast. And everything Jesus said from this chapter through to when he died, he would have been intensely aware that he wanted to say the weightiest things possible to his listeners and to the disciples. And it's loaded with the most profound truths imaginable, reflecting his love for the Father, his love for the disciples, and his love for the church. If I had to take just a few pages from my Bible with me to a desert island, I'd probably take these chapters, John chapter 10 to 17. On we go. And incidentally, there is a sheep in that Moscovich. I'm not sure he's a good shepherd, but... In verse 16, it says the good shepherd has other sheep. Now, just in case we could only comprehend these sayings of Jesus in their historical context, as opposed to being true forever, here we are personally included in absolutely everything he has said about himself. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold, not exclusively Jewish sheep, not exclusively um, first century sheep, In the same context, I love Jesus' reference to him laying down his life only to take it up again, verse 17. A clear prophetic reference to his resurrection and to the resultant possibility of us centuries later having the same living dynamic relationship with God through Jesus. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock of his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Psalm 95. There shall be one flock and one shepherd. And across all these centuries and all these cultures, it is the same Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead who causes us today 
to be one flock, not some centuries later legacy, last little strands of something that might still have some influence. It is the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead who lives in you and I today. Isn't that wonderful? Don't you love it when your spirit witnesses to the same Holy Spirit in someone else, even when you're from a different culture, have no idea where they're from or what church or confession they belong to. In October, Matt and Liam and I flew from London to Istanbul, from Istanbul to Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan, and then took a domestic flight across the mountains from Bishkek to Osh in southern Kyrgyzstan. All three of our flights were cramped, packed out. So stepping off the third and final flight, it was really nice to stretch out. And whilst waiting for our bags in this small provincial airport, I noticed a kind-eyed American couple, fellow passengers, who, despite having just travelled even further than we had, right across the globe with two very young children, somehow still had a shalom upon them, spirit to spirit, I thought. I wonder. I think I recognise the spirit in which these people are living. So I went up to them and said, are you visiting or do you live here? We live here, they said with a smile. What about you? I said, well, we're visiting, but I'm a regular. Um, Business or tourism? I just knew by then. So I said to them, well, I'm working here and I'm guessing you're part of the M community. And M is code for missionary in lands where the church is persecuted. Yes, they smiled. Me too, I said. And recalling the name of the only American I knew in southern Kyrgyzstan, I asked, do you know Darren Jeffries? I'm making the name up. He's our boss. (laughs) Okay. I've never actually met him, but my wife used to work with him in Baku in Azerbaijan. Really, we used to live there as well. Well, I gave them my business card, inquired how a couple of mutual friends were, asked them to send greetings to their team. Um, from Bella and me. It's nice, isn't it? I love it. I love it when these little spirit-to-spirit connections are made around the world. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me today. Dwells in you today, Helen. Isn't it wonderful? There shall be one flock and one shepherd. And the good shepherd has both the willingness and the authority to do this. Verse 18 just in case we feel that Jesus had no option but to be the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep, and that somehow he had to because, as I said, it was in his job description, in this statement we see that Jesus actually volunteered himself. And should he change his mind, the Father had given him the authority to do so. So as with Mission Impossible, this was his mission should he choose to accept it. Now, this is extraordinary, given that Jesus had previously said the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. He also said, I I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak the things as the Father has taught me. And he said again, and all these three are in John's Gospel, for I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. So hang on, did he have the choice or didn't he? And I think we see the key to this seeming mystery in the cry that Jesus made to the Father on the cross. Father, if you are willing, 
Remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Luke 22. So although he'd been given the authority, he laid down the authority and dedicated himself totally to the will of the Father. And by doing this and through this, he demonstrates that Jesus doesn't just love me, but he likes me. He wanted to lay his life down for me. Isn't that wonderful? So let's have a look at those again. And let's say them. Do you want to say them out loud with me? I listen to and know his voice. He owns me. He cares for me. He knows my name. He lays down his life for me. I'm not his only sheep. He chooses to love me. Just say to someone near you, what is the one of those things that the Holy Spirit has impacted you with? impacted you with this morning just one particular thing maybe and finally let's pray Lord you are my shepherd I lack nothing you make me lie down in green pastures you lead me beside quiet waters you refresh my soul You guide me along the right paths for your name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in your house, Lord, forever.